electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A busy weekend for Elon Musk as the Twitter takeover takes shape. Maybe we should just ban Twitter. Not ban individuals, but let's just ban Twitter. The tweets, the trolls, the conspiracy theories. Walter Isaacson on all of that and the new possible future for Twitter's blue check users. Once you get to user verification, and a large amount of the users are paying some subscription fee. You have fewer trolls, obviously much fewer bots, and uh, you also have uh, content flow that's a little bit more civil and reliable. A major link in Apple's supply chain vowing better working conditions in China after videos emerge of employees allegedly fleeing. Former SEC Chair Jay Clayton on the possible domino effect. Clearly, our relationship with China has an effect on the economy more broadly and other drivers of inflation. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average on pace for the best month in 46 years. 1976. 1976. 1976. 1976. Since 1976. It's Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Happy Halloween, everybody. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kern and and Andrew Ross. We're not properly... No, I got pink. It's, we're, not, uh, we're not properly you know, it's tired Penelope, here. It, She's the only one. Penelope's birthday. Oh. So, uh, I see. My, so wonderf- my wonderful Wiccan wife, beautiful Wiccan wife, I wear pink for her. But uh, she has been under a spell, as you know, for, for quite a while. I've been bewitched, bewildered, beguiled, and bothered. All of the, be- the above at some point. But happy birthday. And I know you. Uh, happy birthday, Penelope. Happy birthday. Wish thank you. That's it. Thank you. Thank happy, you. Happy and birthday. you know my birthday. Um, January 6th. January oh, right, 6th. Right, January, January 6th. 6th. I mean, it used to yes. be the epiphany. It used to be the three wise I guys. You should be able to know. forget that. You probably it's won't forget that now. But oh, yeah, yeah, but January I mean, it used 6th. to be three like. Wise men, not the three wise guys. Yeah, three wise guys. Yeah, <laughs> like from, from the movie. <laughs> the good fellas showed up to see. Uh, uh, our Lord, no, it was uh, the, the three kings, the three women. That's what it used to be. Something else sort of took precedence over that recently, especially for certain people. Since the March 23rd, 2020 low, Dow's now pulled ahead. We are going to close out at the highs of the day. The Dow up 830 points. The best October ever for the Dow. By the way, what a month it has been. Here's where we stand for the month of October. Remember, going into October, we were worried that this could be a pretty spooky month for the markets. At least historically, that's been the case. But that is not the case this time. Uh, The Nasdaq up by 5% for the month. The S&P up by nearly 8%. And then the Dow, which is up by 14.4%. In fact, it's on track for its best month since 1976. Here's a flashback to what was happening in 1976. Along with the Dow being on fire, Rocky was punching its way to the top of the box office. Happy Days was the top television show. 
The Cincinnati Reds won the World Series and gasoline cost 59 cents a gallon. Elon Musk, the new owner of Twitter, tweeted out an unfounded conspiracy theory yesterday morning about the attack on the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. That tweet has since been deleted. His tweet was in response to a tweet from Hillary Clinton that linked to a story from the Santa Monica Observer, which is a website that has a history of publishing false information. The publication in the past has claimed that Hillary Clinton died in the September 11th attacks and has been replaced by a body double. The article must tweeted questions the circumstances of the attack on Pelosi and make some unfounded accusations that con conflict with the account from the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, of course, that's just be the beginning of things that we saw over the weekend from Musk. Uh, a lot to chew on over the weekend with, with, with Musk. Uh, separately, uh, Elon Musk denying a report that he's planning to lay off Twitter employees prior to November 1st to avoid stock grants due to staffers that day. We talked about uh, the prospect that that date is when the stock vests. He's saying... He's not going to be doing it. There was a report uh, in The New York Times over the weekend that said that he had ordered job cuts across the company with some teams getting hit harder than others. Uh, elsewhere, Elon Musk saying that Twitter is reversing its user verification process without giving additional details. But there's been a lot of reports out there. And here's here's what we know. Twitter considering charging users who already have the blue check mark to pay for it. So effectively, they'll pay $4.99 a month with one report saying the fee could be as high as 19 99 a month, forcing users to pay up for verification may be coming at just the right time as advertisers appear to be beginning to rethink their future with Twitter. Late Friday, General Motors said it temporarily halted paid advertising on the platform as it, quote, engages with Twitter to understand the direction of the platform under its ownership. By the way, General Motors competes with Tesla. So, like, let's think about everybody's motivations here. And then finally, Musk is also considering bringing back Vine. That's the viral short video app shut down by Twitter back in 2016. As a possible TikTok competitor, Musk poll about the ideas already generated more than 1.6 million votes. And then there was LeBron James. I don't know if you saw LeBron, uh, very upset about just, I mean, people using the N-word, all sorts of just slurs and, and just terrible things happening over the weekend and effectively saying this is scary and terrible. He says he, says he doesn't know Elon Musk, uh, doesn't care who owns Twitter, but that somebody should fix it. Well, I, I think he was doing that based on a, a report that came out that from the Washington Post. From the Washington Post, right. citing some data that suggested racial slurs. One particular racial slur had been used, I don't know, what was it, 400% increase? 500%, 500% increase yep. over the past of several days. LeBron couched it. He said, if this is true, true right. what are you doing about it? And again, said, I don't know Elon Musk, right. but I, I'm but very concerned puts, if this it is puts true. Elon, I mean, this is the thing that I think makes this whole thing so complicated now. When you are the center of the public square and the owner of the public square, it just impact, it's going to impact every other business. I mean, look, GM, it's a good example. GM hates Tesla. Tesla hates GM, right? We've seen this sort of strange Elon Musk attacks on Mary Barr and Mary Barr's, you know, attacks on him. So what do you expect? So there's going to be all sorts of businesses that either want to do business or don't want to do business with Elon Musk and his town square now and possibly all of his other companies. And if you're a publicly traded, but, but, but I think if you're a public right. owner of these other companies, right. You I mean, saw the complicated Tesla, for, being, for, Tesla being the one. And yeah. we saw it with Amazon. I was we talked about Bezos it with Jeff Bezos. With right. the Washington Post. Anybody, they can sell, obviously. Any of the, any, any yep. or all the companies that uh, he's involved with. You know, I've tried to call people like an idiot 
like someone probably shouldn't do that. I, I've, yeah. Knucklehead, knucklehead is okay. But they asked me, are you sure you want to say idiot? So um, I can't believe they can't ask you, are you sure you want to say this, 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 any of these other horrific words, can't they? They ought to be able to figure out. And when they ask you are. if you really want to say this, do you say yes? Yeah, I did, and it goes through. <laughs> and then it, and then it goes. They don't ask for, for, for some. They don't ask for knucklehead or clown. Testing it out. I tried doofus. Doofus is, is usually gets, gets through, but um, idiot they ask about. So I don't think you can do the M word. I don't even I think the it's M word. It. Oh. Yeah. You can say moronic. You're being moronic. You just shouldn't actually characterize someone as a. It's a cesspool. I mean, there's just no doubt. Now, the question is, is society writ large kind of a cesspool in certain ways? And do you want to pretend it's not? The bigger question is, does or, it amplify it? Right. Like, does it amplify the Well, oh, there's the no doubt the, that, that the decline of Western civilization is in large part due right, to but, Twitter. So, I mean, if we don't internet, want it, well, maybe we should the, just ban Twitter. Not ban individuals, but let's just ban Twitter. Do you want to? I'm for that. If you want to do that, I, I get a few things off it, but, but my life wouldn't. So when Jack ran it, he actually didn't tweet that much. And when he did tweet, he was pretty circumspect right. in what he was tweeting, in part because he was trying to serve the interests of the company and the advertisers and the whatnot. Now, Elon Musk owns it full, full right. stop, so maybe it doesn't matter. He can tweet whatever he right. wants. But I think the tweet about, uh, you know, Paul Pelosi over the weekend is a good example right. of how how somebody with those impulses running a big company like that, it becomes very, I'm trying to be polite about it. Well, this is a very complicated situation. This isn't the first, I mean, you know, some of the and, tweets about 420 and I'm taking the company private and I'm doing this and I'm doing, they're, they're all, a lot of them are crazy. And I, but as an individual, is he allowed to do it? I mean, it, it, there owner. should be a China wall between the individual Elon Musk and what Twitter, how Twitter is managed for, Shareholders, obviously, and if Elon wants to be a you know crazy but, in his but own account, but he is a shareholder now. So I know, now but if he wants to be crazy in his own account, then you know, I, still I has partners. Know. That's true too. He still has partners. Cheese will be next. Next weekend at Elon's, Musk biographer Walter Isaacson on the big changes and big challenges ahead as the world's richest man takes over at Twitter. Musk has said in the past that whether it's on the bot issue or many other issues. He suspects that he's been misled. And so I would not be surprised at all if there are lawsuits involving everything from compensation to people he feels have withheld information illegally from him. Squawk Pod will be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. We heard this morning on our TV broadcast from Walter Isaacson, the Perella Weinberg partner and Tulane professor, has written some of the most best-selling biographies of the modern era. His subjects have included Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, and famously, Steve Jobs. The Apple co-founder asked Isaacson to chronicle his life and sat personally for dozens of interviews. That book was published just two weeks after Jobs' death. In recent years, another high-profile technology pioneer has been Isaacson's subject and muse, Tesla, SpaceX, and now Twitter CEO Elon Musk. That means that Isaacson has had a front-row seat to a lot of the Musk myth over the last few years, including the Twitter takeover. When photos emerged, where else, on Twitter, of Musk's first visit inside the headquarters of the social media company late last week, there, standing next to Elon, was the observer, Walter Isaacson. And it's a complicated time. There's growing concern about misinformation and hate speech on Twitter since Musk took over. Musk himself tweeted out a link to a conspiracy theory about the attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. GM, a major advertiser, has suspended advertising on the platform as it evaluates Twitter's new direction. And what about the staff at Twitter, the people who work there? Musk addressed a report that he would start firing before November 1st, the day that employees are set to get vested stock grants. That day is tomorrow. Naturally, he tweeted in response to a news report with, this is false. What a weekend. Becky Quick takes things from here. Walter, um, great to see you. Are you feeling a little sleep deprived after this weekend? No, no, no. It's, uh, it was a very interesting weekend. <laughs> what happened? Well, you know, uh, uh, Musk went into Twitter around uh, Wednesday of last week uh, into the headquarters in San Francisco and started working with our teams that he has from his other companies that understand the software. They even went through lines of the software code to see what was good, what was bad, who was writing the best code. And it was a pretty serious assessment. I think sometimes people get distracted by all the little things on Twitter you know, that are being tweeted out. But there were teams of people working there trying to make both a transition and to figure out who at Twitter is really good and needs to be retained, especially on the engineering and software side. All right. So let's start with that before we get to the shiny objects from Twitter this weekend. Uh, Just the idea that they are trying to assess 7,500 employees there. And there has been some pretty widespread thought and reporting that there are going to be layoffs. By the way, some of these uh, these news stories started before the Elon Musk takeover happened with the expectation that this would happen no matter who was in charge. How deep do you anticipate those cuts being? Well, as you correctly said, I think even before Musk uh, bought Twitter, Twitter had said it would lay off uh, 25%, I think was the number kicked around of its employees. Certainly the financial model doesn't work. There has to be a reduction. And I think that it's not being done, you know, a slash and burn way. They're looking through uh, each department, uh, especially engineering, programming, to say who are the best. And, uh, of course, there will be uh, cuts made in the uh, workforce there. Elon Musk replied to a tweet about the New York Times story saying that these cuts would begin before tomorrow when that payment has to give out for, for stock options vesting. Um, and I, I guess it's a cash payment that would have to be made. Is that your understanding that that's the false part of that report? 
I actually do not know uh, whether the layoffs are going to begin, you know, today, tomorrow, the next day. Uh, obviously, you've seen in the papers, and uh, he has already uh, 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 laid off some people from Twitter. And so I think it'll be a rolling thing. And I actually do not know the timing uh, compared to the stock option grants. A lot of things he, he tweeted about himself or commented on things that other people were tweeting, whether that be uh, charging for being able to keep your your blue check mark, whether that be uh, reinstating Vine, trying to come some way of coming up with that. Uh, any of those things strike you as an idea of something he's already set on or is this just kind of a a constant evolution of thought in testing the waters with the Twittersphere? I think that's the great question. And yes, he's set on a lot of these things. And the, as you said, the real question is, what does he really plan to do with it? And it wasn't mainly a notion of opening up content moderation that's been driving him for the past few weeks. It's a question of how do you do a business model that actually works on Twitter? And I think he's talked about, and I've heard him talk about, ways that you have subscriber revenue. You can have some people who can come in for free. Certain users may pay $5 a month. Some uh, want to be power users can pay more. And the more you pay, certain benefits you get, certain features you get. It is also is an incredibly important way, and this is gets to the content moderation thing, to verify that those are real users. You can still come on, I think, if uh, the way he has it planned. Uh, anonymously, but since you'll have to be verified at least by Twitter as a real person, and if you put in your credit card information, they know who you are, that means that your veil of anonymity isn't absolute. If you start doing things that are libelous or bullying, uh, then you know people can kick you off the platform, know that you're a real person, that sort of thing. So I think once you get to user verification, and a large amount of the users are paying some subscription fee. You have fewer trolls, obviously much fewer bots, uh, and uh, you also have a, a content flow that's a little bit more uh, civil and reliable because people are generally verified. And I assume that the verified users, the ones who have uh, you know, uh, Twitter blue or the blue check marks, or they pay the $5 a month, they will be the ones who get amplified in the algorithm more than the ones who don't. And so this is a business model that makes sense, both from a financial standpoint, but also from improving the content uh, hellscape, I think was the word he used for it. Right. I mean, I guess that is paid to get promoted. Uh, Walter, the most controversial thing he did over this weekend was to retweet a conspiracy theory, weigh in on this idea about the circumstances behind the attack on Paul Pelosi from a very unreliable source. And, uh, you know, anybody who thought Elon was going to change his stripes in terms of the type of stuff he was tweeted maybe got a quick uh, awakening on that front. I think the bigger question is, though, what does this speak to in terms of what the platform overall is going to look like? Yeah, I think that's a very difficult question, which is how much content moderation you do. If there's some conspiracy theory and it's misinformation, who judges that it's misinformation? If somebody says, as he did, there's a tiny chance that this is true. Is that something that should be tweeted out? In my opinion, no. Uh, and certainly when it comes to things that are dangerous to people, that are bullying, when you talk about violence, 
or um, other things. Now, of course, it's a something that I haven't been able to figure out, which is when people are tweeting about the Wuhan, you know, COVID leak possibilities or whether or not masks are a good thing or not to wear, to what extent you can label that as absolutely false misinformation, and to what extent that should be given fair play on a platform that's basically a place uh, for town square dialogue. So I, you know, I, I think that he's very unfiltered. Uh, but it would that's something, especially the tweets you're talking about, that I don't think serve uh, the platform well. Well, should he now suddenly as the uh, the chief twit, if you will, does he now need to uh, to rein in his his behavior? I, the, the history, Walter, is littered with CEOs who aren't perfect individuals. They have moral lapses. They have judgment lapses. Uh, they're human. Couldn't Twitter uh, answer to, uh, I, I don't know, a, a, if we decide what we're going to moderate and what we're not, does that mean Elon Musk suddenly needs to, you know, uh, be the perfect person now that he's running uh, Twitter? Or can he continue to be unhinged? Uh, if you, I mean, we had a president who was pretty unhinged. So in the highest uh, office in the land, you're, you can be unhinged. Should, should Elon Musk have to rein in any crazy behavior? I mean, he's a, he's, he's a fun, crazy guy. I, and I'm just wondering whether we should expect that a higher standard of him now that he's the CEO of the company and the chief twit. Well, you're asking the essential question that a biographer or anybody has to answer, which is to what extent is the unfiltered nature of Elon Musk, or for that matter, Steve Jobs, or people throughout history, you know, from, you know, in a very tragic way, James Watson, the guy who discovers DNA, or William Shockley, they become unfiltered. To what extent can you separate the unfiltered behavior that's bad from the behavior that allows them to discover uh, great things or to create Apple computer or to create uh, uh, SpaceX and Tesla? And to what extent are those interconnected? Is it just a holistic person there in which the unfiltered nature of the thought is just who he is? Hey, Walter, can you can you tell us what really happened, though, in terms of him posting that and then deleting that tweet and sort of the background of it all? You know, he does that very often, which is very impulsively tweet things out. And then I think, you know, clearly by the fact that he deleted it, he thought, well, that ended up being something I, that was unwise to have out there. Uh, there were a whole spate of tweets, including questions about whether or not the N word or, you know, other words were being used again in which he uh, tried to show, all right, we're going to figure out this content moderation. He's floated the idea of having a content moderation panel of people from, you know, different sides of the uh, political spectrum to say, how do we figure out which is a very thorny problem? But to get back to your specific question, there are times when he just goes off on the corner and he may chuckle, he may be upset, he may be mad, and he'll tweet something out you know, if I had to put a figure in Twitter, it would be the five minute or 10 minute delay that would ask you 10 minutes later, you sure you want to send this one out? Right. Hey, Walter, the other thing uh, that he published that that I think raised some potential questions about uh, ongoing or maybe future lawsuits. Uh, he he posted something last night 
of some Slack messages, which clearly he must have gotten access to now as the owner of this company, suggesting that Wachtell Lipton, the law firm that represented Twitter and Twitter's board, kept from the courts. Um, the implication was maybe he would go back to the courts. There's also the issue, again, of compensation for executives uh, at the senior levels and then uh, perhaps at the lower levels as well, and whether he will fight those payments and whether he will use evidence uh, found in these cases to uh, effectively argue that these firings were for cause. Well, yeah, the Thursday evening at Twitter headquarters, um, Musk is there with his lawyers and some of his bankers. They're in a conference room on the second floor of Twitter headquarters, and the deal is supposed to be closing. And it's not, uh, shall we say, the friendliest thing. It's not as if the Twitter executives are bringing down bottles of champagne. And it became, through the evening, quite contentious. I think Musk has said in the past that uh, whether it's on the bot issue or many other issues, he suspects that he's been uh, misled. And so I would not be surprised at all if there are lawsuits, uh, lawsuits involving everything from compensation uh, to people uh, he feels have withheld information illegally from him. Should anybody feel like, you know, he's doing whatever he wants in terms of going through their DMs or other files that are on this? It's a privately held company. I guess he can do what he wants. Yeah, I'm not actually sure of that, Becky. I mean, it's a Slack channels of Twitter that he bought. Um, I do know that he's, you know, trying to make things like DMs be encrypted end to end. So he cares about issues like that. But I don't know the legality uh, of going through somebody's work messages uh, when you buy a company. But, but Walter, going back to that Thursday night, take us inside the room, if you could. And also this idea that there could be lawsuits. I imagine he will, with, it sounds like he's going to probably try to withhold compensation, at least from the, the most senior executives. I don't know how you think he's thinking about uh, firings ahead of this November 1st deadline in terms of vesting, non-vesting, things of that sort, and then bringing in these other issues um, into the courts about whether he might even try to sue the board and others uh, for withholding information that, that would, what he would argue would, was otherwise uh, necessary uh, to tell him about. Yeah, I mean, he's spoken about all those things, about feeling that if information was withheld, he's going to file lawsuits. I don't know how um, successful they would be, but I would suspect this is going to be fought in court. And clearly on uh, a deal that was going to close on Friday, close rather quickly, uh, late in the evening, East Coast time, uh, uh, well, while his bankers and lawyers were gathered at Twitter, and it was done in a way so that uh, some of the you know severance payments uh, are now in jeopardy. So that too will be something that could and probably will be uh, litigated. Walter, we got to run, but when do you think you're actually going to finish this book? Every time you may try and close <laughs> well, it yeah, out, you something got else us. I, You know, I mean, I, I don't. I'm just an observer. I don't tell them what to do. But if I could tell them one thing, is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do anything <laughs> totally crazy for the next <laughs> few months because i got to start typing. I assume I'll finish it sometime in the coming year. You never get writer's block. You never, like, all work and no play makes Walter a dull boy and nothing weird. This one, Joe, is so interesting and so exciting that I actually love no writer's block. my computer. No. Wendy, 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 Wendy. Okay. You can't wait to read it, Walter. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. <laughs>
Thank you. We'll see you soon. Yes, and make him stop doing stuff so you can write it so we can read it. <laughs> Coming up on Squawk Pod, workers flee one of the world's largest iPhone factories in China, bringing the country's strict no-COVID policy right up against a regional outbreak of the virus. China's impact on us, former SEC Chairman Jay Clayton weighs in. If you look at this from both sides, right, we are highly reliant on China. We saw that in the supply chain, we saw it in production. We're pulling back from that. You know, disruptions in China are going to disrupt supply in the United States. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square on Halloween. Halloween, is this Halloween Eve? No, it's this Halloween. Is Halloween. This is, we are on Halloween, technically. It's, uh, I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky Quick is here looking very Halloweenish. Joe it's Kernan Halloween is here. Halloween or Halloween Eve? Yeah, well, no, I was just thinking about because Halloween happens Halloween in the expanding. evening. Halloween so. Eve is mischief night. It's last and that would have been last night. Yes. yes. Last night. But you didn't TP anybody's house. We were doing Halloween process. activities last you were night. Out. Not getting candy. <laughs> Not were you egging out people's houses. Egging no. people's houses? <laughs> no. <laughs> you just. <laughs> I, mean, I thought that's what you were saying. I mean, your house was also yeah. a separate issue. Also that was you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also where you boo people and leave candy. Right. Yeah. And, and ghosting. Do you know ghosting? You go I out. I thought that's when you don't respond to the text. No, no, no. <laughs> ghosting that, is where you ghosting? go out and you ring a person's doorbell and, and you leave away? something there. You've been oh, ghosted. We, we, boo. We, we call that booing. Really? We get booed. So yeah. it's different. Uh, yeah. New data out of China overnight showed factory activity fell in October due to frequent COVID outbreaks. A decline in the purchasing manager's index uh, was driven by a manufacturing was driven by a drop in orders pointing to weak future demand and services activity also declined in October for the first month. And that was since May. And speaking of China, factories uh, over there, COVID restrictions in China are reportedly hurting production of Apple's iPhones. According to uh, Reuters, Foxconn's plant in uh, the central part of the country has been hit by strict measures to curb outbreaks of the virus. And the report says that that could result in a drop of up to 30 percent in production of the smartphones at that specific facility. Foxconn has said the situation is gradually coming under control and it would coordinate uh, backup production with other plants to reduce any potential impact. Meantime, Foxconn denying a report. Uh, that about 20,000 of the staff at that Chinese production facility had been diagnosed with COVID. Uh, videos emerged over the weekend showing migrant workers uh, fleeing from the facility over apparent concerns about the virus uh, and strict lockdown measures. In the meantime, U.S. companies could be facing headwinds when it comes to doing business in China. Amazon, Intel, Apple, Regeneron, AMD, and Mondelez all have significant China revenue exposure. I can think of a few other companies, too. Joining us right now is Jay Clayton. He is the former SEC chairman, a CNBC contributor, non-executive chair of Apollo, and member of the board at American Express. Jay, let's just talk about the pullback and deglobalization to this point. I mean... 
there is significant risk, I think, just based on the heated rhetoric that's going back and forth between China and the United States. What are companies doing about it? Well, well look, over the past 20 years, you have it exactly right, we have become deeply integrated. Starts with trade, then it went to production and financial markets. Some of this manifested itself in uh, things we were dealing with when I was at the SEC around the PCAOB. But what do we know now? We, we know we're going to stay integrated, but there's actually going to be some pullback. Um, and if you look at this from both sides, right, we, we are highly reliant on China. We saw that in the supply chain. We saw it in production. Um, we're pulling back from that. You know, disruptions in China are going to disrupt um, supply in the United States. Mm -hmm. We can come back to um, inflation, how that might be actually affecting inflation in a way we, we didn't anticipate. On the other side, if you're China, you want control. We're seeing that. Um, and being deeply integrated with the United States and relying on the United States, relying on the West in a way that maybe you're not comfortable with. So we're having somewhat of a reset. Look, I, I think it's a fascinating thing from a company perspective, but also more broadly from a market perspective. If we've been looking at the drivers of inflation and inflation predictions, um, we've actually gotten it wrong. All of, all of the experts over the last six, nine months have said that inflation is going to come down faster than it actually has. Mm -hmm. One of the drivers of that, of, of what I would say is the persistent inflation, is this what I would say is deintegration, right? The, the ability to increase supply is not there like it was. And as you deintegrate and shift, anytime you have a transition, costs are going to increase. Mm -hmm. So I think we should look at this as just another factor that policymakers and companies are going to need to deal with as we go through this price adjustment mechanism or price adjustment phase. You think of some of these companies, though, and I, I would put Tesla and Apple, maybe Nike, all those companies very high up on that list. How do they disentangle without really um, taking too much, of a, too much of a hit to be able to continue? Well, this isn't binary, right? It's not you're in or you're out, but, but we are having a readjustment. We're having a readjustment from a political perspective, um, from an operational perspective. And look, I'm, maybe I'm too much of an optimist. This, this is an area where Washington has a bipartisan common view which is It'd be the our, only area. Yes. But, but look, as we try to get this right, if it becomes a focal point for cooperation, look, we're going to the election, but if, if this becomes a focal point for cooperation post the election, maybe we can get other things right. Because actually, it's not an isolated thing. Like, clearly, our relationship with China has an effect on the economy more broadly and, and, and other drivers of inflation. I know we're going to uh, run out of time, but I have to ask because you're here, and we always talk to you about Elon Musk. I don't know if you, you focused on this. Last night, Elon Musk started tweeting out some information that he found. Now that he owns this company in Twitter, he's now gone into the files, apparently, and found some emails and other things that he says the Twitter board and Wachtell Lipton obscured and should have shown people and that the court should have seen. My question to you from a legal perspective is now that the deal is closed, interestingly enough, can he go back retroactively and go to a court and sue the board or sue others? I'm not sure uh, who, you know, who's the substantive body that you sue for damages after having purchased a, uh, an acquisition. Are there examples where somebody uh, buys something and then sues afterwards? Uh, let me say, then this drama ain't over yet. Now, let me, say, let me say this. From a shareholder perspective and a market perspective, the deal's over. Correct. Okay, so but but that's right. an important part of the way we do things in America is that you know, we have disaggregated retail shareholders. When we call it a day and they right. get paid, that's it. 
Um, so you check out, but maybe he uses but it. In can his you sue defense. the board? Can you well, sue the board members individually? I, okay. Who is the body that so, you can so, sue if so, you want to? So Andrew, it, it is America. Right. We, ta we take care of our retail shareholders. It's also America. You know, you can make a lot of claims in court. <laughs> right. So uh, you know, uh, to okay. say to let say me, that there's no viable claim here would be. Let me ask you a separate yeah. question then. Does DNO Insurance, Directors and Officers Insurance, which I believe most of the board of Twitter had, or ha had, and I think uh, I say that had with a D as in had, or H-A-S, mm -hmm. has, do you keep that insurance? Is that insurance still in effect after a transaction closes? So that if you actually decide you're going to try to sue the board, are they protected or are they really not protected? That's actually a quite interesting question. It, it is a quite interesting question, generally. If I say so myself, given that I asked it. Yeah, well, you know, look, you're, you're well, you, know, you, you, play, you play a lawyer on TV, you're pretty good at it. Wouldn't they be protected from anything that happened during the time frame that they were covered? I don't know. Gen this is, I, maybe not. Generally, I, I haven't looked at the papers. So that's like, generally, that is something that gets negotiated about continuing coverage for previous directors. And does it usually, it usually stay in effect? It, it usually stays in effect. For, for what, 12 months? What's the... You, you know what? My, my deal days are dated, but okay. uh, it's, some, it's some, usually some meaningful period of time. Interesting. Okay. Jay, thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thank you. Big, important week for, for a lot of reasons, Fed and uh, a lot more earnings. It'd be good to have... Uh, that's a great company, great service, Uber. I'm finally... I'm really... Now you're, you're I, there. Oh, I really... I haven't done the Uber <laughs> Eats yet, but... I've been stuck in the rain here with no cabs, and uh, it really saved our uh, saved our bacon. Saved your bacon. The saved pricing bacon. is just through the roof, though. I, know I have that. to say. I know that. I mean, we'll talk to we'll talk to Dara about it tomorrow, but I got I got stuck with a bill over the weekend that Some was something. Things, you know, I'll good things you. aren't cheap. Cheap things aren't good. You know that. Um, you heard that expression, right? Becky, thanks. Happy Halloween. You're welcome. Happy Halloweeny. Happy Halloweeny. Happy birthday, I Penelope. I serve it your pleasure, Joe. <laughs> Make sure you join us tomorrow. Oh wait, wait, wait. Oh, put those on. That's nice. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, indeed. Check out our November 1st podcast tomorrow for Uber CEO Derek Shahi. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the very best of our show right into your ears, get smart analysis and interviews that you can't miss, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.